Uh, I do want to share with you uh, where we left off last week, why your worldview matters. And it matters a lot. And I want to just, I know it's redundant, but just quickly say uh, this. Your worldview is basically the beliefs that you build your life on. And, and maybe you cannot at this point define as of yet what your worldview is. But trust me, all of you have, we all have a worldview. And it's continually being shaped. It's shaped by our friends. It's shaped by our family, by our coworkers, by media, by social media by celebrities, by uh, professional athletes, by what we see and hear. Our worldview is constantly being shaped and formed. And why our worldview matters is because every single decision that you and I essentially make is based on our worldview. We've got to make a decision. What do we do? We access, we go to our worldview, and we make a decision based upon our beliefs. Remember what worldview is? It is the beliefs that I base my life on. It's the beliefs that I live my life on. And we started this series uh, last week. If you did not get a chance to hear that, I hope you'll just go and you can uh, go back and watch it on demand and get caught up with us if you'd like to do that. By the way, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online to part two uh, of the series today. And I'm very, very excited about it. And I mentioned this last week, and I want to go ahead and say it because it's similar. I want you to get your phone ready. I don't always say take some notes. Um, some of you do that on your own because you're a note taker anyhow, but I want to encourage all of you, get your phone, get your tablet, whatever you're going to get some notes on. I'm going to give you uh, for the next uh, about 30 minutes, 30 to 32 minutes, I'm going to pour out a lot of information because this is so important and I wanted to do it in four weeks rather than multiple weeks. So I'm going to give you a lot to think about and I'm going to give you a lot of verses from the Bible to tie into what we're talking about because as we shared, everything that said you need to be able to weigh that. You need to be able not to be a sinning, but you need to be discerning and weigh it against the truth of God's word. And so uh, you could do that. Uh, I want to just begin by uh, saying, uh, really posing a question. Could you imagine what life would be like if God did not exist? Think about that. If God did not exist, now I'm going to jump ahead and I'll come right back and I'm doing it intentionally. You don't have to worry about me chasing a rabbit trail, but you know, there is going to come a time when God is going to be taken out of the world. There is coming a time when the Holy Spirit, who in the Bible is referred to in this term as the restrainer, is going to be taken out of the world at the end of time. And there'll still be people living on the planet. We believe the rapture, and I'm not going to do uh, a series yet on eschatology, which is the doctrine of last things, but we believe the rapture of the church is going to take place. The Holy Spirit's going to be taken out of the world. Followers of Jesus are going to be taken out of the world. And it's going to begin a seven-year time of tribulation. That's for another time and another series. But what if God did not exist now. He does in the world, but what if he did not? If everything in the world is just an accident, what would that be like? Or random chance that all of this that we're surrounded by, that we can see, hear, touch, smell, if all of this just happened. Now, fortunately, and a lot of you may only, uh, you may realize this, only about 2% of the world's population are actually atheists. Now, there's a much larger number that function as practical a uh, atheists. And, and what I mean by that is though they live as though God does not exist. But really, when you take the global population, there's only about 2% of the world's population that are actual atheists. Most everyone actually believes that God does exist, but at times may wonder, well, how did the world come into being? 
And where did I come from? And all of these things matter a lot. And all of these things are a part of our worldview. So today is part two. It's really important. I hope you're ready to jot down some notes to get these scriptures down. And I want to give you a really quick overview. And to do so, I'm going to mention uh, three things. Fundamentally, and it's all a part of our worldview, we have to understand where did we come from? Where did we come from? Let me give you three things real quickly here. Number one, first of all, God created everything. Be sure you get that. Now, I know most all of you know that already, but God created everything. And we know this because it's found in the very first verse of the first chapter or the first book in the Bible. Look at Genesis 1.1. In fact, why don't you read it with me? It will help me. I need encouragement. Remember the game yesterday? I need your encouragement. So read it with me. Help me out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who created the heavens and the earth? God did. God created the heavens and the earth. And since God actually existed before there was a universe, I know that that is hard for you and I to wrap our mind around. But the reality is God existed before there was a universe. God existed before there was anything. And what he actually did is God created everything out of nothing. You need to go back and read that in Genesis. Don't just take my word for it. He created everything out of nothing. And according to the Bible, God actually spoke the world into existence. So there was nothing. It was utter darkness. There was nothing. No sun, moon, stars, no sky, no oceans, no landmass. There was nothing. And out of nothing, God created everything and he spoke it into existence. Now, here's a good question. All right. How long did it take him? How long did it take him? And you say, well, according to Genesis, six days. But is that six days in the way that you and I understand six days? How many of you know that God views time differently than you and I view time? You and I have a way of viewing time. How do we view time? We view time based on this way. Uh, we view time based on a typical 24-hour day, seven days a week. But God who creates time, he looks at time differently from us. So did God create the world in six days as we would understand chronological time, six 24 hours a day? Maybe he did. We don't know for certain. Nobody can say for certain because we weren't around when God was doing it. Well, maybe what God did is maybe God, how many of you, well, let me say it this way. How many of you know that God could create everything out of nothing in six 24-hour days? How many of you know that? God could do that. How many of you believe that God created, every, could have created everything in six seconds, not six days, but in six seconds? If God chose to, he could have said, well, every day is going to be 24 years based on how you and I would view time. See, when God created the world, he used his time. Now, you and I, and that shouldn't diminish our faith at all, because can I just tell you, it doesn't bother me at all if God did not use my way of thinking in terms of time. Like, it, it was six twenty four hours. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it, maybe he intentionally took longer than that. He wouldn't need longer than that. Maybe he did it in just a few moments, but God created everything out of nothing. And again, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, how long God took in creating the world. What matters most is why did God create the world? The biggest question is actually why. And I'm not going to expand upon this, but I'll give you a couple of things to think about. You can put it in your notes. Here's one of the reasons that God 
God created the world so that the world would be inhabited. God wasn't just going to create a world and a universe to just have it exist for no real purpose. He wanted this world, this universe to be inhabited. He wanted to create it in such a way that it would sustain life. That's why God created. I mentioned this last, uh, last week. He could have tilted the world in such a way, a little bit closer to the sun, and nothing would exist because everything would burn up on earth. He could have tilted it another direction further away from the sun and everything would freeze to death. But with meticulous detail, God created this world so that it would be inhabited and he created it so that it would sustain life. And fundamentally, you know why God did that? Because God, this is going to sound unique to you, but it's exactly true. And I'm going to show you, God wanted to have a family. Doesn't that sound unique? That God wanted to have a family. God created this universe and he populated it with people. Why? Because God wanted to have a family. Here's a verse. I want you to be sure you get it. Hebrews 2.10. God is the one who made all things. We saw that in Genesis 1.1. And all things are for his glory. Look at this phrase right here. He wanted to have many children. Have you ever thought about that? That God wanted to have a bunch of kids. And he, he did. He created this world to be inhabited, to sustain life, to have a family. So in this overview, God created everything. Number two, be sure you get this. Are you ready? God thought of us first, but made us last. God thought of us first, but he actually made us last. Now you go back. I hope you will, because this is all a part of understanding and forming a worldview. I want you to go back and study Genesis this week, and you'll see the order that God chose when he created it all. God, because again, he's speaking into immense darkness, God created light. And then after God created light, you'll follow the order of creation. He created water, and then he created the sky. And then after that, he created oceans and the land. And then he created vegetation. And after that, he created the sun and the moon and the stars. And then he created fish and water animals. Then he created birds, it says, and then land animals. And then last of all, not because he thought of people last, but he, he thought of people first, of you and I first, but he created us last. And last of all, God created the best of all that he was going to create. And he created man and woman. And we'll touch on this next week. And again, you'll want to be here next week. Don't miss a single week of this series. But I want you to look at this verse right up here on the screen. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, before he even started creation, he had, look at this, this is so amazing. Maybe you've never looked at this before. He had us in mind, had settled on us as what? Read it with me, everybody, as the focus of his love. Look at this next verse. This is James chapter one. Look at what we find right here. James 1.18. God decided to give us life through the word of truth. So we might be, look at this phrase, the most important of all the things that God made. So God created everything. Secondly, God thought of us first, but made us last. Thirdly, God custom designed each one of us. God custom designed. And this is absolutely amazing to me. I, I want to ask you this. Do you know this about yourself? Um, do you know that you are one of a kind? And some of you would say, yep. Yeah, I've heard that before, not always in a positive light, 
But I've heard that. But you are one of a kind. And the people around you who know you best, they may be saying, thank God for that. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for all of that. See, nobody is exactly like you. Even if you're a twin, they're not exactly like you in every way. Nobody's exactly like you. God planned you, and he planned it that way. You are not. I want to be clear on this, and some of you, it's worth you getting up and coming here today just to hear this. You are not an accident. And some of you are thinking, but Jeff, I've got you there. My parents told me I was an accident. Well, you, you may have been an accident uh, in terms of how your parents, um, you know, think about it. Your parents may have not planned you, but God planned you. And uh, God actually, and you're like, well, why did he give me my mom and dad? Some of you have a great relationship or you had when your parents were living, a great relationship with your mom and dad. Uh, some of you, you didn't have that. And, and really, you know, I, I want to say I'm sorry about that. But the fact of the matter is, even if you didn't have a great mom and dad, and even if they didn't love you in the way that you needed to be loved and nurture you, nurture you in the way that you needed to be nurtured, the fact of the matter is God took the DNA of your mom and dad to create the amazing person that you actually are. Psalm 139, be sure you get these three verses, all right? I told you I was going to give you a lot. I wasn't kidding, was I? You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. This is what God is saying about us. And knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Look at the next part. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me, God, as I was being formed in the utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was even born. See, you know, I think about the three kids, uh, you know, that we have. And, and you know, the reality was uh, I, I was not any, anyway, the first person to have seen them born. I, I wasn't. Even with Brent, I wasn't even able to be in the room. But even when I was in the room uh, with Drew and Audrey, I wasn't the first person to see them being born. Can I just tell you that? I'll take it a step further. Even the doctor was not the first person to see them when they were born. Uh, the fact of the matter is it was God because God created us. He created us. He custom designed us and he saw us long before we were ever born. So in review, in review, God created everything. He thought of us first, but created us last. Thirdly, we just said that God custom designed each of us. Now, having said that, we're going to do a timeout, all right? I've been talking fast. I'm from Georgia, but I can still talk fast, all right? So take a breath. I need to. I've been talking fast, so take a breath. Then what are the implications of what we just talked about? What are the implications of that? And this is all a part of the foundation of our worldview. So in the balance of the time that we have, I want to give you four truths to write down based on what we just looked, the overview, the three things I just mentioned to you, four things that are really, really important. And if you're like, I'm totally not a note taker, and uh, I would encourage you, you know, write these down, this, this part down, or at least try to commit it to memory. Uh, we typically do poorly at that. If I don't write something down, I tend to forget it. But I want you to be sure you get this. Based on what we just said, the implications for them, and again, this is the foundation. We're talking about why your worldview matters, why my worldview matters, and every decision we make is on the basis of our, our worldview. So I want to give you four things. Are you ready? 
All right, three of you are ready. The rest of you are asleep, and I can't even see because it's dark in here. Are you ready? Thank you. Number one, your life has sanctity. Your life has sanctity. Now, what does that even mean? Sanctity comes from the words to sanctify. And that actually means to set apart. It means to make something special. A lot of you, and this is sad to me, but you don't even realize yet how special that you are to God. I mentioned to you last week when I asked you to come back today and thank you for doing that, that you're going to learn some things about you that you did not know about you. And one of the things you need to know that maybe you don't think about it, maybe you haven't rarely thought about it, is just how incredibly special that you are to God. What is it that makes you so special? You say, Jeff, I, I want to believe that, but how do I believe that I'm like really, really, really special to God? I'll tell you why you're special. Here's the reason why you're special, because you were made in the image of God. You were made. You go back and you study Genesis, everything that we just talked about. When we talk about water and sun and sky and moon and, and uh, you know, fish and birds and land animals and vegetation, all of that is wonderful, but you are the one thing that is actually made in the image of God. Animals are great. They really are. Animals are great, but animals are not made in the image of God. Can I just clarify something? Cows do not have a conscience. They don't. A mouse is not able to make moral choices. The mouse will always take the cheese whether it belongs to them or not. And you may have some great pets, but your pets do not pray. And you're saying, but yes, I have an exceptional pet. My pet does pray more than most people that I No, I'm sorry. They don't pray. They may bow down when they're tired, but they're not praying. Only you are made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27. Here's a very important verse. Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings. What? In his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. You are special. Listen, friends, every one of you. None of you are exempt from this. You can't say, well, you know, I know, Jeff, that you're talking to a lot of people that are here today. Those of you that are watching online, uh, you're talking to the people that are there with you in the building. But I'm an exception to the rule. No, you are not. You are special because you're made in the image of God. We talked about this one a few moments ago. But you're special because... Because God planned your life before you were even born. He did. God, God not only saw you before you were born. God planned your life before we were born. Look at this verse right here. Before I formed you, God said in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Remember, sanctity or set apart. I set you apart for my holy purpose. And, and really, can I just tell you, this is why as followers of Jesus, we're pro-life because we believe, we believe that can, you know, that life starts at conception, that it's not at the time that a baby is born, that God creates. And we just saw enough evidence from the scriptures. If you believe the Bible and you got to believe the Bible, if you believe the Bible, then you believe that God created, you know, and, and life starts way early before birth ever haps, happens. Now, here's another reason why you're special. Not only because you're made in the image of God, not only because God planned you in advance before you were born. Here's another reason why you're special. God made you to love you. That's why he created you. 
God made you, and, and I know that we have lives. We have everyday kind of lives. Uh, if you're a student, you have school. If you're a, 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 a stay-at-home mom, you have responsibilities. If you're a worker, whatever, whatever your fundamental responsibility is, you, you have that. That's a part of your day-to-day life. If you've got small kids, you're running them everywhere to soccer practice and dance, uh, you know, practices and rehearsals. And, and your, your life is a maze of utter busyness. And all of those things matter to God. They, they really do. But the fact of the matter is, that's not the absolute essence of why God created us to do all those things. You know, to go to work, to go to school, to have families. And God looks at that and God blesses that. But primarily, God made us to love to love us. And, and can I just tell you this about God? God wants us to love him in return. You know, when the kids, I mentioned that we have three kids. When the kids were small, I used to love to watch them while they were asleep or to hold them while they were asleep. It was really then that it was the most peaceful around the house is when they were asleep. And, and it was just fun. I, you know, because as a dad, I just loved them so much. I mean, it brought me great joy. I could just stand there and just watch them sleeping or hold them while they were sleeping when they were really small. And, and can I just tell you, that is what God does with you. God, God is so in love with you that God can't take his eyes off of you. And, and some of you, part of your worldview, and I want to debunk it, is you're like, yeah, I know why God is watching me, because he wants to catch me doing something wrong. That's the only reason God is watching me, because he's trying to watch, uh, catch me doing something bad. No, listen, he's your heavenly father, and he loves you. And just like his parents, we could just stand there and watch our kids and just watching them. I mean, and our... Our love is imperfect. God's love is perfect in every way. He's our heavenly father and he loves us. So part of our worldview is this. Here's the implications. I gave you the overview earlier. The implications, number one is your life has sanctity. Number two, be sure you get it. Your life has dignity. Your life has dignity. Maybe you've not really thought about this a lot either, but deep down every human being, every reasonable human being wants to have dignity. Every person who really thinks about it, they want for their life to matter. They want for their life to have significance. They want to know that their life is valuable. They want to know that their life has meaning and purpose. Now, I don't know the value that you have placed upon you. But I know the value that God has placed upon you. I know the value that he has placed upon you. Uh, can, I, can I phrase it this way? Think about it this way. I approach it from this angle. How much is something worth? How much is something worth? And I'll tell you how much. And you know this, but let me just say, state the obvious. The value of something is based on whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. That's how much it's worth. I'll give you an example. I like nice cars. And I've had a few, not a lot, but I've had a few nice cars. And I can remember the prize car that I had had at one particular time. It was the best car I'd ever owned was a Chevy Tahoe. And I loved that vehicle. I loved it. And this is what I do. I like nice cars, but I drive them into the dirt. I do. I drive them forever. And I did with this Chevy Tahoe. In fact, when it came time because the mechanic finally told me, Jeff, you're going to end up spending more money on this thing to keep it repaired than to just get something else. And I hated part with it, but I had put 276,000 miles on this thing. And I went to trade it in. Now, how many of you know the value of that Tahoe was based on what they were willing to give me in terms of trade-in value? And I know you could say, well, that trade-in value, what if it had been, what if you had, you know, sold it, uh, you know, retail? Uh, maybe I would have got 50 cents more for it. 
It was horrible by the time. And in fact, I can remember, I'm, uh, you know, do you have a trade-in? Yeah, I've got a trade-in. And I knew the people that I, were, I was dealing with. Yeah, I've got a trade-in. Well, can I drive it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh, hand me the key, gave them the keys. And they're like, hey, ride with me. And I said, uh, all right, I'll ride with you, but I'm going to have to ride in the back seat. And they looked at me sort of, uh, you know, like, why? And it wasn't because I was, you know, not confident in their driving. Fact of the matter is the passenger door wasn't even open. If you looked at the top of the Chevy Tahoe that I put 276,000 miles on, it looked like people would gather around my house at night and they didn't have anywhere else to build a campfire but on the roof of this car. The interior, it looked like gophers uh, had been turned loose on the interior leather. I mean, it was rough, and, and I knew it didn't have much value. And when they came back with the number of the trade-in value, I, I, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's probably pretty accurate. I had a fair estimation of what that was worth. How much is something worth? It is worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. And that's where you come in. Are you ready for this? How much are you worth? You're worth this much that God loves you enough that he sent his own son Jesus into the world to die for you. That's how much you're worth. What am I worth, Jeff? You are worth God sending his one and only son from heaven to earth to go and die a horrendous death upon the cross to spill his blood so that God could demonstrate his love. That's how much you're worth. How much is God willing to pay for you? The life of his own son. You say, well, I need convincing. Well, here it is. Look at it on the screen. God paid a ransom to save us from the empty life. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Can you imagine that? God, even before he created out of nothing, everything out of nothing, even when he looked at a world that was dark, God had already predetermined because he knew that creation would sin, that God would send his son. How much are you worth to God? You're worth enough that God would send his son to die in your place. How much are you work to God enough that he would allow his Holy Spirit to be deposited into your life. Think about that. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. How much are you worth? You're worth enough that God would trust his Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you. How many of you know that's pretty valuable? Wave your hand at me if you know that's pretty valuable. Look at this verse. Be sure you get this. Don't you know that your body is a temple that belongs to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit whom you receive from God lives in you. You don't belong to yourselves. How much do you matter to God? Enough that he would send Jesus to die for you. Enough that he would cause his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. How much are you worth? Listen, your life has sanctity. You, secondly, your life has dignity. Thirdly, I want you to get this down now. Your days have intentionality. Your days have intentionality. Did you know that God not only planned your birth and your life, but that he also planned your days? Every one of them. God not only has a total count on the hairs of your head, and according to Scripture, he does. He knows you that well. And for some of you, that's an easier job for God than others, but that's a whole other issue. All right? So God knows the number. I shared with you in a message uh, recently from the book of Job that God counts every day, every step that we take. I mean, that's how well he knows us. But he also knows us so well that he planned our days, every day of our life in advance. Psalm, look at this, Psalm 139. Look at this verse, the B part of the verse. All the days are planned for me. Were, all the days planned for me were actually written in your book before I was one day old. God, you already planned. Now, 
Have you considered this? God is not only omnipotent, which means that he is all-powerful. You cannot not be all-powerful if you're going to create the whole world. But he is also omniscient, which means that he's all-knowing. So he knows every, how every day of your life is going to play out even before you get there. Now, I wish I had more time to talk about this, but the time is just clicking. It's staring me down. Does that mean that God, is, that God controls every detail of your life? Absolutely not. Does that mean that God controls every day of your life? Absolutely not. See, when God created you and me, when God created us, part of God creating us out of love to love us is to give us the capacity to be able to make our own decisions. You know you're able to do that. See, and, and I wish this is a whole nother, and man, I want to dive into this, but uh, I don't have time. But there's a difference between God predetermining something and having foreknowledge. And that's going to create maybe more questions than I provide an, an answer with. Just because God knows something, he's omniscient, he has foreknowledge of something, does not mean that he determines that's going to happen. Because the fact of the matter is, God gives you the capacity to make your own decisions. I'll give you one quick example. Did God want his people when they left Egypt, his own chosen people? Did he want them to spend 40 years stumbling around in the desert? Absolutely not. But they made decisions on their own. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you always make wise and good decisions? No, neither do I. You and I ought to follow God's plan and will and purpose and ideas for our life. But often, what do we do? We do our own thing. And you know what? If you know, I think you, you and I have to come to the conclusion that God is smarter than we are. How many of you are glad that you're not God? How many of you know other people that are glad that you are not God? Because God knows it all, and he's got a perfect plan, but we don't always follow. He knows our days, but we don't always follow his will. He knows how they're going to play out. Look at this next verse. I need to hurry. For we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So your life has sanctity. Your life has dignity. Your days have intentionality. Fourthly and finally. Your future has an eternity. Your future has an eternity. Be sure you get this now. Your life. And this is part, all part of our worldview. And out of, out of our worldview, we're making decisions. Our worldview are the beliefs that we build our life on. This is all a part of our worldview. And that is that our life does not end here on earth. It does not. Now your body, your body is going to wear out and die. That's going to happen. And the mortality rate still hovers somewhere around 100%. How many of you, you're old enough that your body creaks and aches and what's the cereal? Cereal, uh, you know, snap, crackle, pop. That's, you know, it's a cereal on how you feel in your body sometimes as you've gotten older. How many of you know your body's wearing out? All right, some of you, you don't face reality. <laughs> but your body's wearing out. I was thinking a lot about mom and dad yesterday because yesterday would have been my dad's birthday and he passed away just a few short years ago. Most of you that know my story, you know that mom and dad passed away and I love them very much and they love me and I'm grateful for that, but they passed away in a matter of weeks and they weren't like elderly parents. Uh, dad was 72, mom was 70. Mom had... And it had it apparently for some time in a milder form, but we didn't know it. Mom had Lewy body dementia. You may want to read about that, or maybe you've had a family member or friend affected by Lewy body dementia. Mama had a healthy body. I mean, she hadn't always taken great care of it, but her body was fine. 
But Lewy body dementia had affected her brain or mind in many different ways. In fact, at the end of her life, it was just wild because her vital signs were so utterly sporadic just all over the place. And we talked to those who were caring for her who were wonderful. And it was people from hospice. And we're like, well, what's going on? And it was like, at least this is, they may have not said it exactly this way, but this is how, you know, it sounded to me. This is what I discerned them to be saying that although your mom's body is relatively healthy, her mind is shutting her body down and her body is rejecting it. It was like her body was saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you shutting us down? The fact of the matter is one day our body and our mind will be shut down. But that will not be the end of us. See, we've got to be clear on this, that God wants you and I to be a part of his forever family in heaven. Look at this verse, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. We're almost done. This plan, which God will complete when the time is right, is to bring all creation together, everything in heaven and on earth. So God wants you and I. See, our life has sanctity. Our days have intentionality. Our life has dignity, but our future has an eternity. Can I tell you this? Although your body and my body will grow old and die, it will not be the end of us. It simply will not. And that's got to be part of the framework and foundation of our worldview. However, like everything else, you and I get to choose or decide. See, God's not going to force us. And we need to be clear on this. He's not going to force us to serve him. He would be God if he forced us. He's not going to force us to love him. He's not going to force us to spend all of forever with him in heaven. See, we can reject it. We can reject the offer that God has made to us. See, you and I get the chance to make decisions, and I'm glad that we do. But with every decision comes consequences. And you could just say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And you can carry that right into eternity that will last forever and forever. And God not be a part of your life forever and forever. You don't even need the horribleness of hell it would just be the separation from a loving God for all eternity that would be hell enough all on its own. Do you know the greatest day in history has not yet happened? Look at this verse on the screen, Romans 8, 19. For all creation, that's you, that's me, all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children. What's those last two words? really are. See, God created an earth so that it would be inhabited. God created it in such a way that it would sustain life. Why? Because God wanted to have a family. He wants you and I to be his children, but we get to choose. One last verse. In fact, you can go ahead and stand with me. We're going to do one more song, and then Mark will dismiss us, but I want you to read this last verse with me. Everybody, I want you to read it out loud. The band, you guys can go ahead and come. You ready? Let's read it together. To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. It doesn't happen just by osmosis. How do we become children of God? Look at the word, first line, we believe in him. And look at the second line, we receive him or we accept him. And maybe you've not done that yet, but you can do that right here, right now, today. You can say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe that you are who you declare that you are. And I want to receive you as a savior and the leader of my life. So I'm going to pray a prayer. 
And you can pray it right there where you're standing. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it in your mind. Those of you that are watching online, you can pray it with me right there where you are. And then when I say amen, I want us to worship God big time. I want us to give him the glory that is due his name. And then we'll be dismissed. Thank you for being with us today. Don't miss, don't miss next week. And those of you that are new, come and see me out at Guest Central. God, we just pray right now. We just pray right now that we would understand how special that we are to you, that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus into the world to die for us. You love us enough that you would cause your Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of us. And God, we thank you for that. Help us to see ourselves, not as we see ourselves, but as you see us, which is unbelievably valuable. God, if there be any person that is in this place right now or watching online, that is not yet your child, that they would say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. Jesus, I receive you as the savior of my life. Come into my life. I want to spend forever in heaven with you. I know that you made me to live forever. My body will die, but I will live forever and ever. And I wanted to be in heaven with you because you love me and I want to love you. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's worship God. Let's give him praise. Let's declare, I will build my life. Every voice here. Say, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation and I